Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. Today, I interviewed Haley Goodrich, who is also a registered dietitian, and she is a CEDRDS, which means she's a certified in eating disorder registered dietitian, and she is able to give supervision to other registered dietitians who are trying to get this credential, which is amazing. And there's because she is aligned with intuitive eating and health at every size, she has that much more training and credentialing and the ability to teach new registered dietitians how to practice in uh, in an intuitive eating and health at every size lens, which is amazing. I brought her on the podcast. I went through her whole journey on how she got interested in nutrition and then how she became interested in intuitive eating and eating disorders. And um, I really do think that in many ways, um, sort of like converting from the traditional dietetic training to the intuitive eating lens is very similar to going from working for someone else to becoming an entrepreneur, because in both of those, in both of those scenarios, it's, it's really scary. And it's in a lot of ways off the beaten path, but you get to really listen to your intuition. You get to really hone your skills. You get to really um, use your creative outlet and your specific tools that God gave you to help other people. So I, I find that to be like a really interesting parallel. And um, it was a really awesome interview. And Haley is amazing in what she has done in her entrepreneurial journey. She's not just, she doesn't just have a private practice. She has other dietitians working for her and she has started something called Inspired to Seek. So you could look that up online, but it's for dietitians like me who are also trying to start their own private practice and they need some guidance and they also need support because we all know that if you are going to be on an intuitive eating journey, you will get pushback. And I think that there's definitely more um, openness to it. And I think that it's clicking for a lot of people. There's a lot of aha moments because being on the diet train is so painful and it's so um it just like it just never ends you just never get to your goal weight you're always feeling bad about yourself you're always feeling fear around food no matter how much weight you lose it just it's just never enough and that's just the nature of diet culture so i think that if you are a new dietitian and you want you need some support and you need some guidance definitely check out that website inspire to seek And if you are looking to heal your relationship with food, make peace with food and body, heal your relationship with food in order to make, in order to make peace with yourself, go to my website, www.gulaglassberg.com and sign up for a free discovery call. And as of February 9th, I will be running a new intuitive eating course. This is not just a course. This is also a support group where like-minded women come together. We learn the principles of intuitive eating. We learn how to implement them into our own lives. And there's a major sense of community. We're going to have a private WhatsApp chat as well as an accountability buddy system. So you can email me at gilaglassberg18 at gmail.com to sign up for that. There is a beta price discount. It's $275, which is which is really cheap. My one-on-one counseling is $150 per hour. So this is $275 for four live courses over the course of eight weeks. And you're going to be getting a lot of journaling prompts and um, a lot of support. So reach out to me at keelaglassberg18 at gmail.com. And if you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and a review, share it with people that you think could benefit. This is how we move up in the rankings and other people are able to find the podcast. Okay, enjoy and have a great day.
Hi everyone and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I've come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Get Into It with Gila. Today I have with me Haley Goodrich. Hi, Haley. Hi, Gila. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thank you for joining us. I have been following you for a long time and I love your work. So if you could just tell the listeners who you are, what do you do, where do you live? Yeah, and I, um, it feels like we know each other as well because we've hung out in inspired speakers for, for quite some time and gotten to know you there so um this is such a treat to to chat live or record this live um but I yeah my my name is Haley Goodrich I'm a registered dietitian and eating disorder dietitian in um the greater Pittsburgh area and um I have a group private practice on the eastern suburbs um and we treat eating disorders um uh through a health at every size uh, social justice informed lens so that's you know, we're a specialty practice and there's a group of um, three of us clinicians doing, doing the outpatient dietitian thing and uh, we love it. Um, that is one part of my business. The other is mentoring dietitians who are also in the same boat, whether they're in entrepreneurship themselves or, you know, um, seeking ongoing guidance and support and training to become eating disorder dietitians through supervision and um, our group I co-founded Inspired to Seek. So I hang out there a lot as well, producing trainings, um, CE opportunities for dietitians as well. Wow, that's a lot. A lot <laughs> it does kind of sound like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so did you always know you wanted to be a dietitian? Um, no, actually. Uh, I always think this is such an interesting question. And sometimes I'm like, how did I end up here? But um no, I, I don't think I actually knew for, you know, what I wanted to do specifically for a really long time, even after I graduated with my bachelor's. Um, I figured something in the wellness health care field for sure and, and was leaning toward med school for a while. I oh, um, did a lot of shadow. Yeah. Yeah. And I did a lot of shadow. I really liked the ER setting, did a lot of shadowing in the ER setting in undergrad and um, liked it. I didn't, I didn't like all of the paperwork that doctors would spend time mm -hmm. doing and the high liability and mm -hmm. um, the insane schedule and, you know, commitment to another like eight years of school. So, you know, there were some things that was like, I don't know if this is it. Um, and at the time I was really into running and eating in a way that I thought was really health promoting and um, thought, 
well, I've mastered this and I'm good at this and I can help other people do the same thing. So sort of entered the uh, field of dietetics the way that I, I think a lot of dietitians do, thinking that um, health and wellness looks a certain way and they've sort of mastered it. And I already spent so much time myself um, really in this area, why not make it my career? So um, I think that's what pulled me in. And so there was a little bit of, you know, my own stuff, disordered stuff there and in pulling me in. However, it's exactly where I needed to be because this is, you know, I, I love what I do. I love working in um, eating disorders. So kind of a long answer to your question. Oh, I have so many more questions about that. So um, did you grow up in a family that like promoted like weight loss or diet culture and stuff like that? Were you like surrounded with it? It's interesting because my earliest memories was our house was completely food neutral. Um, you know, we grew up, I grew up in Texas um, and we regularly had things like ice cream. Like that was, I have a lot of memories almost every night after dinner, like going with my dad to the, the freezer, the big ice cream there is called Bluebell. And we always had Bluebell ice cream. Like that was, that was really normal. We always had pancakes and bacon on Sunday mornings. Um, my dad made breakfast for us every single morning. So I think that I'm really fortunate and privileged in many, many ways. But one of them was, you know, my earliest memories are really a very normal relationship with food. Um, my mom did do a lot of dieting. A lot of her friends did. So I can remember, you know, getting a little bit older through junior high and high school and um, just as everybody else sort of is being surrounded by diet culture. Um, but I'm, again, just so fortunate because none of that was really pressed upon me by family members. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's probably in large due to just the fact that I am in a genetically straight sized body to begin with. There's, mm -hmm. you know, nothing was flagging me at the pediatrician's office or, um, you know, with friends or family that I was quote unquote, growing too rapidly or, or too big. Um, so I think, you know, I had that preservation and protection just by genetically the size that I am. Thin privilege, you will say. Exactly, yeah, that's it. Definitely. So, so was it like when you got to college that you started to run or when you got into like eating healthier, paying more attention to what you eat? Yeah, totally. And I think that, you know, really, if I look at my, uh, I've got the perfect wiring for, sort of textbook obsession with trying to control food and body and very much that type A and um, high anxiety and, and college was such a transition from a tiny um, high school in Texas to a major university um, as a freshman. That was just such a big transition. And um, I think, you know, anything I was sort of grasping for straws as most of us do anything to kind of help me feel regulated and um, calm my nervous system and feel like I had some sense of control when I didn't know what I was doing at all. Mm -hmm. So I think things just kind of escalate from there. And you, you lived in a dorm with other girls? I did. You know what? I did live in a dorm um, my freshman year and then moved into an apartment for the remainder of my college, undergrad college career. So I always had like roommates and mm -hmm, right. yep. So were you, is that where you started to like compare your body to other women's bodies or it wasn't really like that? Um, yeah, no, I think, I think that is, you know, 
really common in a college scene, but I think it, it was more so of um, if I don't know exactly how to do the school thing perfectly or what that's going to look like when I graduate, then there's this one thing I, I can do really well. Like I'm just going to pour a lot of time and energy in, into this and becoming the healthiest that I possibly can and running fastest and farthest that I can that um, I either that'll be good enough you know maybe then I'll feel like I fit like it'll be good enough so I think it was more again probably because of the, the thin privilege more of like a internal like personal battle almost with myself you know mm -hmm. so were you like was the was there a lot of pressure in school or you put that pressure on yourself like the school like to, to be top of your class let's say yeah um, I think I put that pressure on myself just being naturally a perfectionist um, that, you know, that is in my genetics, that is always who I've been, which sort of probably gives us insight into why I chose entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a go-getter. I'm a, I'm one that needs to constantly be achieving and doing the next thing. And, and that is fulfilling and, and feels good for me. Um, there's a lot of influence, family influence there too. My dad also an entrepreneur and um, while they, my parents didn't um, push us like really, really hard, um, there was still kind of this unspoken expectation of like what achievement meant, I think, in our family. And so that, you know, paired with my kind of natural wiring neurobiology set me up for like, how much can I possibly do and how fast? Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I want, I want yeah. to talk about the entrepreneurship. I just want to, I want to hear the whole story, like how you came to be. So, so you started, so then you became a registered dietitian and you were, had you heard about intuitive eating health at every size, like while you were in school or that was, that came afterwards? I actually came after. So yeah, I graduated with my bachelor's in biomedical science still wow. without knowing what I want. Like I did not have a job when I graduated. I was wow. like, uh, still lost. Um, so I went back to do all my didactic coursework oh when I was like, gosh. oh, yes. I know. So like another two years to, yeah, you know, all those <laughs> didactic classes. Luckily, I had all the like biochem and exactly like those were still transferred over and everything. Um, but no, all the way through the didactic coursework and even into like my internship, I had not heard of intuitive eating whatsoever. I was still very much in the traditional yes completely traditional program traditional training even our classes we had didactically there were ones where we would um gosh, gosh it's so disordered thinking about it you know they would give us a recipe and say like how many substitutions can you make to make this like low fat and like low calorie <laughs> that was like assignments that we did which is so strange or like tracking our own food like the calories um, so very traditional dietetic training. And then somehow, and every time I do an interview, I'm like, where, like, I, I'm a little fuzzy on this, but somehow during my internship, I came across the intuitive eating book, mm -hmm. um, and just read it on my own. Like it was not part of the curriculum, my rotations, nothing like that. Uh, and just started kind of like telling the other interns, I was like, have you seen this? Mm -hmm. Have you read this? Um, and so my, my like self-learning kind of started there, I think in my internship. And I remember giving a lot of pushback actually to um, our like 
some of the preceptors and our like internship director asking, getting really curious and asking a lot of questions about some of this stuff. And it was, it was definitely just blown off at the time. Oh yeah, definitely. I even yeah. remember contacting like old professors and being like, Hey, remember that class medical nutrition therapy, like that you gave us? I'm like, have you ever heard about intuitive eating? Cause I'm confused how this is like, I was just shocked. Like, and she was right. like, yeah, I've heard of it, but you know, I'm like, I just don't, I just don't know what to say, but I think we've all, yeah. So, so you just stumbled upon it and, and it clicked or you were still on the fence? I think, yeah, I did the fence sitting thing for a while. Again, this was like pre, um, this would have been pre any Facebook groups that as we have now, like with, right. as professionals, how we all connect on like right. Instagram and Facebook. Um, podcasting was like not a thing. I mean, sure podcasts were around, but mm-hmm. not like how you are producing this wonderful part. Like mm-hmm. there was none of this. Um, so I think I thought I was doing into, I think I was like, oh yeah, this, this totally makes so much more sense. This is how I'm going to practice mm-hmm. um, my first year as a dietitian. And I think I genuinely thought I'm doing this intuitive eating thing. I'm still weighing people. They still have a weight loss goal. Um, I was still missing disordered behaviors left and right. You know, like I look back and just want to kind of cover my face. Like, oh my gosh, I was so unprepared. Um, we all do that. And yeah, and you know, of course, with a lot of compassion for myself, just trying to do the best I could, mm-hmm. not, you know, not being near as prepared as I should have been. Um, so, so yeah, I think I did that for a while and then slowly through learning more, finding more training, um, learning about health at every size. That was kind of the next, I think a lot of dietitians describe intuitive eating, that framework kind of being their gateway intro. And then you start learning a little bit more about um, weight stigma and weight science and all of those things. Um, And I think, yeah, that's, I went into private practice very early. I started as um, a newly mentored dietitian. I had a job as a clinical dietitian for a few months um and really hated it and I was kind of panicking hospital Hospital. Mm -hmm. yeah like on the med surge floor um sort of following up on like cabbage procedures um for your listeners that's just um uh, like heart bypass (laughs) Mm -hmm. um heart surgery and and things like that uh you would see like a lot of wounds and malnutrition and sort of following up on that and it just wasn't my jam and I kind of panicked and thought I've like chosen the wrong career again uh yes I was exactly there <laughs> so, what, what do you hate about it I'm curious um it felt like it wasn't actually making an impact of any kind um in the clinical setting and I don't know how much it's changed over you know the last 10 years but um it was optional for doctors to read our notes. Like we would do all this work. We would do, you know, full malnutrition screens and put in our recommendations and they may not, may or may not even read the notes. Right. Same with, you know, you would put tube feeding recs in, TPN right. recs and they're in there, but the doctor could also just say like, no, here's what I want to happen. And so it was sort of like, you would see people for five or 10 minutes. They may or may not know we were there depending on their state. And then you would do all this charting. I know. And it may or may not ever get looked at. And so it was, I was like, what is the point? Um, yeah. So I think that that was, um, I needed a lot more it, like one-on-one interaction too with people. Like I was not getting that with folks either. Maybe, you know, they send you in for 
an education for a new um, diabetic patient, for instance, and maybe you got 10 minutes with them, but you never get to follow up with them or um, really get to learn more about their life. And that, that also like didn't feel very good. Right. I remember when I was in undergrad um, and we, I think it was my first MNT medical nutrition therapy class, which, which I loved. And the professor was saying like, if we don't take our job very seriously and we don't, you know, like, I guess like over chart and over assess Mm -hmm. the the medical needs, the nutrition needs, then you could sort of like phase out the dietitian and the nurse could do that. And I'm thinking now, like, I guess this was like, I don't know, five, six years later, you kind of could like, you kind of could like, I I don't mean to like, I don't mean to offend any dietitians who are listening and if they like clinical, but I felt the same way and I did it for five years. Like I I work in a nursing home, but I just felt like, you know, the state mandates every three months for a nutrition assessment. So you're just charting and charting and charting. And the, the, you know, the residents who you're seeing may not want to even be seen. Yes. Just mandated. So. And they may not want an education and yet you have to go give it and like then chart that you did it. And I think clinical dietitians are absolutely necessary, but like you said, the way the system is set up currently are undervalued majorly yeah and there's so much like we have such a a much greater capacity than what is happening you know what we're seeing in the clinical setting so I think I was ready to like get out of there quickly and I thought well I'll just start a private practice I had zero business experience (laughs) okay so let's talk about that so how so wait so how many years ago was that um this would have been uh in 2014 we're in 2021 now. Yeah. So seven years ago. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so seven years ago. So, and, and like you said, there wasn't like now any dietitian who logs into Instagram is going to be encouraged to start their own practice. Right. But seven years ago, I mean, I don't remember ever knowing anyone my age no. for sure not who was starting a private practice for sure, not intuitive eating private practice. So, Mm-mm. so, so what happened? Like what, how, what, when, how did you do that? I just, I literally just opened a, a Word document and I think we're, we were flying somewhere, my husband and I, and I was like, I'm just going to make an, a list of all the things I would need to do to open a private practice. <laughs> like, this is not a formal business plan, nothing. And um, you felt confident though, or you were just, was- no, not at all. I was just like, what, like, what do I have to lose kind, kind of thing? You know, I was like, this has to be possible. I know. I know people do outpatient, like I've heard of private practice. Right. Um, it has to be possible. Um, and there, there wasn't a lot of encouragement from, like I remember telling some of the dietitians I worked with at the hospital and they were just like, my gosh, you have to first have been a dietitian for X number of years. You need to have made all these connections with all these doctors so that they'll refer to you like this. Like you can't, this is not smart. Right. Um, and so I was like okay that's that's really helpful um of course that's not the advice I give I give now to to folks going into private practice but um it was just it was a rocky first year you know I was just learning trial and error as I went um and feeling really alone and that's sort of where inspired to speak that community for clinicians started to evolve because I thought I never want another dietitian who wants to do this to have so few resources and feel so alone and not have some sort of mentorship around this. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so it was out of my own selfish need for what I had needed that year, mm-hmm. you know. So how did you do it? Like, did you, like, how, like, where did you start? You started co- contacting doctors or how did you even know to do that? Yeah. Like, you did research online? Yeah, I was just Googling around. I found an office space for rent. Um, <laughs> found an office space for rent. I knew I wanted to accept insurance, didn't, yeah. had no idea what I was getting myself into with that process. That, yeah. Just started filling out the paperwork. There were lots of tears because it, oh, and I remember several, I know the paperwork and you're just not prepared for how awful the insurance system is and like what you're getting into. And it's, I'll say like now that I'm where I'm at, I can say it's totally worth it. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of getting everything set up. that's so tedious and painful um, so there were many times that I was like, no, nope, not doing this. I'm just going to be private pay only. And luckily I just kept going, um, figuring out as I went, like the CAQH and things I was going to need to do, like what an MPI was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> luckily I did have just the intuition to set up a business entity correctly. Um, uh, you know, my husband and I sat down with a lawyer and an accountant and just said, like, what do we need? Like, we need a tax ID. What do we need to do to make this like an actual business entity before we get started? So I somehow just had that intuition that, that those steps needed to happen, mm-hmm. um, which made at least applying to be an insurance provider a little bit easier because I had had my EIN or tax ID and um, could very easily then get an NPI. So it was just like literally one step at a time uh and I think the first client found me maybe through their insurance um because certainly my website was not anything so I wasn't getting any hits google hits or anything and I'll always remember that first client it was um interesting now that I think back um but yeah so I think uh I grew very quickly too which was unexpected and that that in part is from accepting insurance because that's how people can find you. Yeah. I will say that for, for dietitians listening that I also take insurance and it was a big decision. I think in the yeah. beginning I was just like, well, I don't have any money, but I have time. So mm-hmm. I'm going to spend the time, you know, credentialing with insurance, which is a huge, huge, huge headache. But it's like, I, I spoke to some people who take insurance, like a dietitian and a therapist. And they were like, you have to do like they went through like an hour worth of stuff and then they're like, then you're basically done. So like I use um, simple practice, my, my electronic mm-hmm. medical record. Is that what you use? I actually use Calix. Um, uh-huh. but like I'm it. very familiar. Yeah. Very familiar with simple practice too. Cause they like, you don't have to create, they kind of like automate your insurance form. Yep. So I was like proud of myself for paying extra money to like delegate something like I <laughs> right. can't tech, the tech stuff is like, so not my thing. So, like, I really do feel like it is worth it to take insurance, like, for people who are on the fence about that. Um, but that's a big decision because it's, like, there's so much, so much more involved with insurance. Yeah, it's a bit of a learning curve. Everything from the lingo, which, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know any. I, I was, like, confused what a deductible was, you know? Yeah, um, I'm confused about that, but, yeah. Exactly. Everything from the lingo to the steps of submitting a claim and yes now our our emrs make that so easy on us yeah um yeah glad i glad i got credentialed though you have to use calyx and office ally or just calyx 
Um, the way we currently do it, yeah, we use Calyx and then um, batch them a couple times a week, all the claims that have been created, and they go through Office Alley, which is a clearinghouse. Right. Um, and that's just because we take so many different insurances that it, it makes the most sense to use a clearinghouse where they can do all the work for us to get them to, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, Cigna. Yeah. So do you take all insurances? Most major insurances and in our, our local insurance here is UPMC or University of Pittsburgh Medical Center um, insurance. So we take that as well. Wow. Yeah. So, so the first year was rocky, but then after that, your practice really grew. Yeah, I would say it grew um, starting about, uh, you know, had a handful of clients there the first few months. And then about six months in, I think, is when it really started to grow. Um, and I left my clinical job just to be full-time private practice um, and was a solo practitioner there for a couple of years before bringing on the first associate. Wow. So. So, so cool to think, like to look back and, and think about it. Yeah. So, so what was that like for you to like go from like a handful of clients to like a full-time caseload? Yeah, more adjustments for sure. And I think around that time I had started to hear about supervision, um, which is again, a brand new concept that was not something taught in my traditional training. Um, so that came into my fear just in time, you know, I was growing and trying to figure out how to not only be an entrepreneur, like, you know, wear the business owner hat, but also to grow as a clinician where I was really wanting to specialize in eating disorders. And so I knew I needed more support and training there. Um, so it, and th I think this is what is the most challenging and probably one of the, the biggest questions I get now from dietitians is like, how do you grow your practice as a business owner and still keep up with CE and um, kind of wear all the hats at once. And I think that is the dance we do as mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. Definitely. So, so you felt that getting supervision was like a huge step for you because you had like the support that you never really had. Correct. And it was a light bulb moment of, oh, I don't have to pretend like I know everything. Like it's actually acceptable where I'm at to not know everything and to be able to ask someone for help and support. Especially since you started your practice literally right out of school. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so then, so your practice was growing and then now you have this other wing to your business, which is helping other like new dietitians like myself. So how did that come to be? Yeah. And so that inspired to speak has gone through quite a few, um, changes you know has evolved over the years into what it is now it was originally um, and I think those original modules are still on um, our website but it was originally just a step-by-step -step six modules how to set up your private practice mm -hmm. which, um, was great, from, yeah, which was great yeah it was great I mean they're just simple still there um, and so that was that I found on your website was like health profs and I'm like Duh. like how did I not know yeah. about that you know yes exactly yeah. so I think that was the first um kind of the first bit of support that Monica and I put out and then from there started just you know seeing what people needed what our community needed what kind of support and started creating like monthly CE um around weight inclusive practice and entrepreneurship um 
Yeah. And the Facebook group really grew. I mean, it's several thousand dietitians now where it started out as like 50 dietitians, you know? So um, it's kind of cool. So what was your, did you have any like pushback in like the dietetic community or the entrepreneur community when it came to like your approach, your intuitive eating approach? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, lots of pushback over the years. I think that's been a skill in itself is how do you stay, like, how do you continue to strengthen your foundation um, and stay aligned with your values, how the way you're wanting to practice, um, despite someone else maybe having a different opinion um, or, you know, giving you some criticism and how do you not just crumble under that criticism and say, okay, um, this is what just was thrown at me. I got to keep going. Um, and that's, that's, that's a skill, especially for, you know, I think back where it was really hard for me to take criticism of any kind, right. Or to not be the people pleaser or to not do everything um, by the book, quote unquote, by the book. Right. Um, yeah. I, I could see my confidence waver over the years um, until I had enough of those skills and, you know, strong foundation to say like I'm really confident in that this is how I want to practice and this makes the most sense this is the most um ethical to me um and um evidence-based yeah so I think for dietitians listening if you're in that place where you're still kind of wavering um confidence wise like that's just hard to, to swim upstream and go against what everybody else is doing um I, I, you know you could probably echo the same thing it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. It is really hard. And I think that as you were talking, I was thinking like what really strengthens, strengthens it for me. Cause I still have my moments on the fence. Yeah. My clients' stories of like when yep. they put on diets as kids or how much they hate themselves because of their weight, you know, it's exactly crazy. Once you get into practice and start actually seeing what's happening in people's lives, you listen to their stories, you watch the work that you do together over time, it's impossible to go back. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to do something else, anything else, you know? But it is, the, the thing is, is that on a constant, probably daily basis, your belief system is questioned, which is really, you really do have to have like a strong foundation because I probably have, you know, at least once a day, somebody being like, but it's not healthy to be overweight, but it's not, mm-hmm. you know, but I want to be healthy or like if, eating cookies can never be healthy and I'm like sometimes I'm just like I don't want to talk about this anymore like just go read the book you know it's like hard it's really hard yeah and you have to um think about your career in a way of like how do I not want to burn out like what is going to keep this um fulfilling and and really um make this a a long-term thing and so you can't you can't let every single comment that comes to you on Instagram or Facebook or from colleagues, you can't take the time for each one of those and give them a full schooling or education. Not that it even would be well-received. So it might be a waste of your energy. You have to start to pick and choose and think, how can I make the most impact um, without feeling or getting defensive or using all my energy in a way that's not going to be productive? Yeah, that's a really good reminder because like, I, I do get questions sometimes like, and I'm like, I can't answer this, you know, and then I'm like, Wait, answer it. Yeah. Me? you know, they're not going to, they're thinking I'm dodging the bullet, like dodging the question, but like, I'm like, I just can't answer that again right now. It's too, it's too frustrating, you know? 
and it shouldn't totally be on us either. People need to have to do their own, there's so much internal work through bias and um, stigma that, that we hold just as humans, that that's internal work. It's not, it's like you or I can't do that for them anyway. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you one more question. So what led you to eating disorders versus, like when you started practicing, you were thinking, oh, this is like, I really need a, another credential or you were drawn to the, because eating disorders is different than just. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think exactly what you were saying earlier, I got into it wanting to, um, use my intuitive eating skills with clients and help them get off the diet train and, you know, just really um, improve their relationship with food. But as most clinicians, again, see, it becomes blurry. There's such a spectrum of disordered eating and it's very easy to um, all of a sudden be into a clinical eating disorder when you're working with clients. Like, because diet culture is so strong, and pervasive, much of a clinical eating disorder can also be seen as, you know, using air quotes again, healthy behavior. And so I started, as I was learning a little bit more from lived experience of clients and learning more about what like is a clinical eating disorder, I thought, wow, there's a lot of people that have eating disorders that are getting missed. Um, As I'm learning to screen and kind of uh, clinically see what's out there. I'm thinking there is so much of this population that is underserved, that is um, invalidated, that is completely skipped over and made worse. Mm -hmm. And that is so wrong and unfair. And so, you know, I've got this activist kind of fire within me. And so it was sort of just the next natural progression of, I'm going to learn as much as I possibly can about eating disorders and like do my part. to help give people the support that they need. And I just became fascinated with eating disorders and loved as I got a little bit more, you know, uh, more experience and into the work a little bit deeper, loved it. And so that's where I really niched, niched down. That's awesome. Yeah, you're, you're right. There needs to be more, more, of a yeah. more, more of a support for people who, who are, have an eating disorder, who are, who have an undiagnosed eating disorder, who are glorified by their eating disorder. Yes. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's a hard pill to swallow, honestly. Yeah, um, I'll say it's not for ev- it's not for everyone either, right? Like yeah. I have a ton of um, colleagues who I adore their work, and they're you know saying more in the disordered eating, intuitive eating space is really what lights their fire and it's fulfilling for them, and I think that's incredible, also. Yeah, to be honest, I'm still on the fence. Like I really enjoy yeah. the intuitive eating, disordered eating like staying there but I've you know I've done some eating disorder work and and I I really enjoy it but it's it's heavier it's much heavier and you're right about the boundaries and about the burnout like you want to make sure to preserve I mean I have three kids also like you want to like like I have to preserve or conserve or whatever the word is like I can't it's such a heavy load to carry that I want to be the best mother wife and practitioner that I could be so like it's I don't know if all practitioners are trained like that, but it's, 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 it's like, it's imperative. Like it's impossible to practice well slash also be a good, you know, spouse and parent when you are carrying such a heavy load. It's just impossible. Yeah. I think it's 
spot on. And I think a lot of people need to hear that. Um, that balance is different for everyone. And ultimately it's gonna be what is sustaining for me and what's most important to me in life and where do I best excel, like spreading, you know, without spreading myself too thin. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so this was, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Where could the listeners find you? Yeah, so first first of all, thanks for this conversation. It's so fun to to think back over the, you know, to take pause, especially during kind of everything going on in the world right now. It's nice to take pause and um, zoom out and kind of look at the big picture of things. So I really appreciate that. And I love just our casual conversation around entrepreneurship. Um, I hang out online quite a bit. So listeners can find me at hgoodrichrd on all major social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, if you're a clinician and you're not already in our Facebook community, come join us at Inspired to Speak. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you for your activism. Thank you for caring enough to like hold the torch because it's, it's a, it, it is swimming upstream and I value everything that you do and everything that you put out there. Thanks so much. And uh, I, love, I love your podcast. Thanks for doing the work. I know what, how much work it takes. Yeah. Um, to produce the podcast so I love this I really thank you it. I really enjoy yeah. it and I think everyone has to hear this message so thank you okay have a great day you too okay bye thank you all so much for being here on my podcast get into it with Gila if you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.